and welcome to episode 74 of the Mutant Blitz podcast. I'm your host, Josh Hennig. On this edition of the podcast, we are going to review and explain James Gunn's Suicide Squad movie, which was released in movie theaters and HBO Max simultaneously. Also, we are going to get into what this means for the DC movie universe moving forward, considering the fact that this is now officially the third DC movie under the new bosses, presidents, and vice presidents and producers. So let's open up a cold one and get started on episode 74 of the Mutant Blitz podcast. So before we start explaining any spoilers in the movie, I just want to recap the reason why this movie even happened. So for those who may or may not remember, a few years ago, James Gunn was fired from Marvel slash Disney because of the fact of inappropriate tweets that came to the service that he had tweeted out about seven to nine years before his firing. And no matter what your position on the firing is, it happened. And as a result, in the downtime between his departure from Marvel and then eventually Marvel basically bringing him back into the fold due to an outcry from all the people who worked with him over the years, basically saying that whatever he said on Twitter was not a reflection of who he was in real life. He had agreed to this deal with Warner Brothers to remake the Suicide Squad, but remake it in a way that was in conjunction with their desired plans for the DC universe moving forward. Remember, after the fiasco with Zack Snyder leaving because of family issues and then the complete mess that was perpetrated by Joss Whedon with the Justice League movie and that failure, along with some other missteps along the way, including the Suicide Squad movie, tons of failed projects that never actually got started over at DC, and many failures at the box office. There were many firings at Warner Brothers in the DC entertainment branch of the company. And a lot of people at Warner Brothers thought it was embarrassing that the CW, the television network, was creating a more popular product than the movies, which are supposed to be at least DC's answer to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And even though people may not have always given Zack Snyder the best reviews, his films, such as Man of Steel and Batman v Superman and Dawn of Justice, did pretty well at the box office, all things considered. And Wonder Woman also did very well. So... As a result, there was a lot of changes at Warner Brothers and DC Entertainment in the aftermath. And part of the changes they made was when they saw that James Gunn became available, they immediately jumped in and asked him to fix the Suicide Squad. Now, since the changes at DC, you will notice a, a bit of a different vibe with many of their properties, whether it be Aquaman, Wonder Woman 1984, whether it be the Suicide Squad with James Gunn, a lot of these properties, and you could throw Shazam in there because Shazam was part old regime, part new regime. A lot of these properties are taking a different tact, which is instead of competing with Marvel, they're trying to be different than Marvel. And James Gunn has taken this film to the furthest extreme he can. 
with the R rating that they were given for the movie, it gave him a bit of an open uh, checkbook in order to be as violent and as unnecessary with certain things as possible. Now, as I've said in my review of Titans, I don't mind, you know, a little bit of action violence in a movie. It's a comic book movie. But as we saw with DC's Titans, which the season three just started recently on HBO Max, there is a line between violence and going full Rambo for a movie. There is an unnecessary amount of violence in this movie, and it seems like James Gunn was very interested in tapping into his inner Quentin Tarantino a little bit in this film, which seems to be the direction DC is trying to go. DC is trying to prove that they are the more adult version of comic book movies. They're trying to differentiate themselves from Marvel, which tries to be more family-friendly. And it seems like that that desire to be more adult probably is what hurt them at the box office because Suicide Squad did not do that well at the box office as they had hoped. And honestly, it probably should have done better if it wasn't for all the COVID situations going on in the country right now with all of the mandates and all of the situation, just, just the, you know, the mass, you know, pandemonium that's going on. So I'm assuming that a lot more people watched the movie on HBO Max and actually watched it in theaters. Whereas it seemed like for Marvel, at least people were more willing to, shall we call it, get their kids out of the house. Whereas you're not taking your kid to go see Suicide Squad for a variety of reasons. If not alone, the whole uh, scene between Harley Quinn and her, at least for five minutes, love interest, Presidente General Silvio Luna, who she definitely fell for very, very quickly, all things considered. But anyway, so that's just one example of a scene where just unnecessary stuff that would not be appropriate for children. As long as you're a parent who actually gives a darn about what your children see in front of them. But I digress. So this movie basically attempts to do two things in one swell swoop. And I think that this is where James Gunn is a genius. James Gunn says, I'm not ignoring that there was another Suicide Squad movie. But I'm also going to acknowledge that whatever happened in that Suicide Squad movie, I just don't care. Because that Suicide Squad movie, for as well as it did initially financially, it was extensively derided and ignored for basically feeling like it was an excuse for them to blow things up and stick Will Smith into a movie. Whereas this film does not bring back Will Smith. It actually has a storyline that allows you to learn the characters. You don't have the characters introduced to you in true crime profile style. You have the characters introduced to you in a normal movie-telling style, which I thought was a very nice change of pace, but also falls in line with what James Gunn does. Now, the typical James Gunn movie also has people from other movies that he's done. For example, Michael Rooker, who played Yandu in The Guardians of the Galaxy. He is the character Savant who's killed off early in the movie. Also, his son, Sean Gunn, is actually Weasel in the movie. And there's some other characters that show up throughout the film that have been in other films, including Sylvester Stallone, who, you didn't know, he's the voice of King Shark. 
which is absolutely hilarious. So the movie basically picks up with the idea the Suicide Squad has been operating for at least a while, okay? And because of the state of Harley Quinn, the movie also picks up after her Birds of Prey movie, in which she uh, finally divorces from her relationship with the Joker and goes out on her to be her own person. So I'm assuming that at least in DC terms, the Suicide Squad movie at least falls within a few years after the first Suicide Squad movie. And the reason why this is significant is because DC has a lot of projects coming up, including a Flash movie, which is supposed to be a soft reset of their universe, the Batman movie, which is supposed to be technically a prequel movie to Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. It's supposed to be set in the 90s, Batman, his first years as being a superhero. And also they're coming out with a bunch of other properties that are supposed to be follow-ups to their more popular films like Shazam. And, of course, the Black Adam movie is coming as well. And all these movies are intending to try to build the DC universe in a way that they should have done all along, but in their desperation originally to keep up with Marvel, that's where they dropped the ball and fell on their face with some of these projects. What James Gunn does is says, listen, I'm going to make a movie that you can watch, and whether anything comes after this or before this, I don't care. This movie can stand on its own two feet. And that's where Gunn does an incredible job at allowing this movie to have its own pace, to have its own little place in the DC universe, and not have to worry about any repercussions. Because at the end of the day, if this movie goes out and is literally the only thing that's ever done by James Gunn in DC, it's still going to be well accepted. And part of it has to do with the cast. I thought that they did an incredible job at changing up the group out there. Now, aside from the creepiness of Weasel, which was already one of the more creepy things in the entire movie, the character of Bloodsport, played by Idris Elba, is a perfect example of DC for the first time grabbing a character and running with it that makes a lot of sense. For those who don't know, Bloodsport in the comics is pretty much what you see in the movie. And Idris Elba does an incredible job at it, and so does John Cena playing Peacemaker. And the rivalry that they have between them is so well done by the writers and the actors that it plays out in such a fun way in the film. And the interactions between the characters just comes off as natural. It comes off as believable. And I think that was one of the things I thoroughly enjoyed about the movie, which was it wasn't forced. There was never a moment you watched the film and you were like, man, they didn't really, they, they really have to introduce that character. They really have to induce that scenario. No, they literally turned it into a, this makes sense. I understand why this character is here. And of course, like I said, there's all kinds of fun little things throughout the film that put a little smile on your face. Now, the problem with the film is that like I said, the unnecessary violence of the movie has a distracting effect from the actual storyline. And underneath the surface, because below the surface, what James Gunn is actually doing in this movie, which is what they should have done in the first movie, which is where he fixes things, he basically puts in front of you that the real villain isn't who you think it is. It isn't the alien Starro, the Conqueror. It isn't the... 
generals who had the military coup in Cordo Martiz. It's Amanda Waller. Amanda Waller is evil, and she uses the excuse that she's defending her country and she's doing what's right for her country as a coverall for her being basically a sadist. And the film shows you along the way that you think that these criminals are going to Cordo Maltese to take care of a problem. And by the end of the film, you find out that all Amanda Waller is trying to do is cover up a situation that the American government was trying to wipe off the books because it was a black ops operation. And since the Suicide Squad, otherwise known as Task Force X, which is the nice description for them, Amanda Waller basically is sending in her criminals to clean up something for the American government that they didn't want Cordo Maltese and their new regime to get a hold of, which was American secrets. What Amanda Waller tells Bloodsport, which is also known as the uh, man known as Dubois, uh, earlier in the film, she tells him that she's going to make a, a leader out of him. Well, that comes back to bite her because he ends up leading her Task Force X away from their mission to actually save Cordo Maltese and the world. The irony is that it takes all of them to deal with this super crazy alien, which is actually one of the oldest villains in DC Comics. He's actually the original villain of the Justice League of America. But in this film, the villains take him down. And ironically, it's because of Harley Quinn and Ratcatcher. Now, you might be saying, who the heck is Ratcatcher? And why, why is Ratcatcher in this movie? I think Ratcatcher is in the movie because James Gunn was trying to change up the tone of the film. Because James Gunn wants to ground his stories. You watch Guardians of the Galaxy. He wants to ground his characters. He wants to make his characters relatable. And Ratcatcher basically tries to bring some humanity to the team because she's not out there to just kill people. She's not really somebody who likes to hurt people. She just cares and loves for her rats. And you see in the film that even though King Shark at one point attempts to eat her, she befriends him as a way of getting him to not eat her. which. In and of itself is a little ironic, but she does have moments like that. She also softens Bloodsport because he tells her eventually that she reminds him of his daughter, who you saw early in the film. His daughter I, apparently can't stay out of trouble because she doesn't have either of her parents around anymore. And, of course, part of the reason why he's even there in the first place is because Amanda Waller threatens to put his daughter in a, an evil prison and threatens to even maybe kill his daughter in order to get him to join Task Force X. So, as I said, Amanda Waller is sick, and she's evil. And as I said, as you see throughout the film, everyone from Colonel Flagg, who's technically the leader of the team, who's eventually killed, to Bloodsport, to Ratcatcher, to King Shark, to even Polka Dot Man, yes, Polka Dot Man makes the film, which is actually one of the great little moments of the movie because... Uh, recurring superhero movie star David Dastmalchen apparently is becoming a guy who just appears in almost every 
uh, action movie has to do with some sort of superheroes now, because if you remember, he was the schizophrenic that was in The Dark Knight. He's also a infamous villain in The Flash TV show. He ends up playing in the new reboot MacGyver TV show, the character Murdoch. And for those of you who watched the Marvel Cinematic Universe and Ant-Man and the Wasp and the original Ant-Man, he is the Russian Kurt who talks about the boogeyman. Yes, this guy now is appearing in everything. And I think he's a, a, an interesting change-up to the film because for those who don't know, Polka Dot Man is a guy who has an interdimensional virus and he has to uh, expunge Polka Dots or the Polka Dots will eat him alive and kill him, basically. He has to uh, purge his body of these polka dots twice a day after his mother did experiments on him at Star Labs. For further details, you can watch the movie about all that. The point of this is that these characters are very bizarre, very unique, but because of Bloodsport's leadership, which Amanda Waller says she's going to turn him into a leader, he ends up being the hero, which his daughter at the end of the film is proud of her dad instead of angry at her dad as she was earlier in the film. Now, a couple other things that happen in the film, you also find out that Amanda Waller is probably more vindictive and evil than ever before because in the first Suicide Squad movie, there was a legitimate villain. And Enchantress was the villain, okay? Uh, And Amanda Waller just happened to be a selfish, smug bureaucrat who was out to her own means. But in this film, she legitimately is the evil villain. And in some ways, Gunn is trying to point the finger to say, you know, be careful of the person who says that they're trying to do the right thing because because as we know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, as the old saying goes. And let me tell you something. She lights a fire along the entire road until her own team has to clock her to TKO her so they can stop her from killing the leftover Suicide Squad because they wouldn't follow her instructions in just entirely. At the end of the film, basically Dubois uh, basically blackmails Waller into not killing them because he basically says that uh, if he kills her, then he will automatically have the footage release proving that the U.S. government was actually behind the whole Starro Jodenheim Cordo Maltese fiasco. Now, because the movie weaves in some World War II, Cold War, U.S. history nuggets into the film, obviously there are some undertones that basically they're insinuating in the film that the United States government was okay with there being uh, basically a monarchy that was almost totalitarian rulers, but that the military coup was more evil And because they're more evil, now they have to go in and take care of this problem. When originally they were able to hide their problems in Cordo Maltese because they found this Starro in space and now they jammed him into this prison down in this island in the middle of nowhere. And there's a little bit of a uh, political message with that, basically saying that, you know, the, the classic, you know, don't trust the government, don't trust the government bureaucrat. You know, the government is saying one thing, but they're doing something else. And that's nothing nothing new uh, when it comes to movies. But what makes this different is that this is less about America 
than it is about Amanda Waller. And it's less about Corda Maltese than it is about these strange characters basically being forced to come together as a team to save the planet from this evil alien that basically wants to murder everybody and turn them into extensions of himself. And then you have the whole interaction between Peacemaker and Bloodsport, where you think in the movie that Bloodsport kills Peacemaker, but spoiler alert, Peacemaker's actually alive still at the end of the movie. And we're not fully explained why, but apparently that will be explained in the upcoming Peacemaker TV series that's coming to HBO Max later this year, which is also directed by James Gunn. And they will also still star John Cena. And just to explain Peacemaker, Peacemaker is a, a guy in the comics who basically believes that he will do whatever it takes to bring peace to the world. But in some ways, he actually uses the concept of peace as an excuse to be as violent as humanly possible. And that's why you have the one scene where basically him and Bloodsport have a, a showdown of who can kill more people more eccentrically, shall we call it. And at the film, you know, Bloodsport basically proves that he's, you know, he's the better, he's the better badass or whatever you want to call it. The point is, is that uh, Bloodsport is actually more of a good guy who's pretending to be a bad guy. And Peacemaker is a bad guy who's pretending to be a good guy. You know, Peacemaker is definitely borderlining between anti-hero and basically uh, sociopath. Whereas Bloodsport is a guy who basically his life has not been that great. And he was in some ways forced into this life of being a villain. Similar to the character that he's replacing Deadshot, which was played by Will Smith's character. Ironically, they both have daughters, blah, blah, blah. There's obviously some symmetry going on there, replacing one character with the other. I have to admit, I was surprised that they killed off Colonel Rick Flagg, but I shouldn't be because they kill him off the same way in the comics. The same with a lot of these characters. They killed off a lot of people in this movie. They killed off Michael Rooker Savant. They killed off Colonel Flagg. They killed off... <laughs> Yeah, Jai Courtney's Captain Boomerang, even though he was already in the last move, which was surprising. Uh, they killed off Pete Davidson's Blackguard, which wasn't really going to miss too much. But somehow they resurrected Weasel at the end of the movie, which was ironic and creepy at the same time. So a lot of weird stuff with this movie. Basically, the film is James Gunn basically cleaning up somebody else's mess, which is something that... I think as a storyteller and as a creative mind, he's very good at. But this movie also is arguably the most close that DC has gotten any of these characters to the comics in any movie in the last 10 years. Listen, for all the other movies and the popularity of Wonder Woman with the retelling of Superman, which I thought was actually well done by Zack Snyder overall, with the strange variations that they had for the Justice League characters and their backgrounds with the original Suicide Squad, with the new Shazam that came out. The majority of these characters are basically modern variations of something we've already seen in comics. Whereas James Gunn says, no, I'm going to take the spirit of who these characters are in DC mythology, and I'm going to put them on your screen, and you're going to like it. And you know what? As a viewer, you do like it. You do appreciate it. Now, by the end of the film, though, 
it's a bit of a letdown because it's very, they walk off into the sunset and they live happily ever after kind of thing. And honestly, I don't like that too much because I think they could have done a little bit more of tying up some loose ends at the end of the film when it came to, okay, well, what happens next? They basically blackmailed Amanda Waller. This is what the first Suicide Squad, I thought, did a better job at ending the film. The first Suicide Squad showed you what happened to all the characters after their adventure was done. Whereas this film, it kind of leaves it open-ended for them to have another movie or to do whatever they want with Peacemaker or for DC to basically do whatever they want with any of these characters. I would personally like to see Idris Elba play Bloodsport again. His betrayal of Bloodsport reminds me of two of his previous uh, characters he's played. It reminds me a little bit of the, the villain Brixton from the Fast and Furious Hobbs and Shaw movie. Combine that with the character Roland from the movie he played the Dark Tower. It seems like he took a little bit of both of those characters and used it for this character Bloodsport. He obviously is the star of the movie. I know a lot of people probably tuned in to see Harley Quinn again, played by Margot Robbie, but she turns out to be basically a character takes a completely separate journey because she's courted by the general and then she ends up killing him because she finds out that he's a psychopath and she wants nothing to do with him after what she went with the Joker. So, you know, her, her journey to get, you know, through this movie is not really that of a star. It's more of like a side story. Whereas the, the evolution of Bloodsport's character from being the guy who wanted nothing to do with his Task Force X to basically being blackmailed into joining this team to being somebody who becomes a team player, to becoming a leader of this team, the evolution is, is actually really impressive to watch. And I thought that the writers and Gunn and Elba did an incredible job with that. But you also got to give the counterbalance to that because John Cena did an incredible job at going from being the cool, fun character to being the character that everyone hated. Because by the end of the film, you wanted Bloodsport to kill Peacemaker. You, you were like, just stop this guy. This guy is going to kill everyone. Like, he literally went and killed Colonel Rick Flagg. He was going to kill Ratcatcher, you know, in cold blood. And it's like, someone's got to stop this guy. So, Peacemaker really became a character that you were, like, disgusted with by the end of the film. And you were sad to see Polkabot Man die. You were sad to see certain other characters die along the way. But at the end, you, you walk away from the film being entertained. It's not a great movie. It's not the best thing DC has brought out. But if you like a movie with dark humor that's got some excessive, and you don't mind excessive violence, that happens to have an interesting and uh, fast-moving story, then The Suicide Squad by James Gunn is for you. I think the impact of this movie is this is the first of many movies that DC is kind of laying a foundation for saying, we're going to be the movies for adults and Marvel could be the movie property for families. And which comes down to the problem that Marvel's having right now because they're fighting with Disney over the third Deadpool movie because Ryan Reynolds has made tons of money making R-rated Deadpool movies. and Disney doesn't want it really to be associated with R-rated movies because of their family image. So 
Uh, while they figure that out, DC is going to try to capitalize on the PG-13 rated R market. And Suicide Squad is definitely the first of those movies. And I wouldn't be surprised if uh, the Black Adam film is a borderline R movie itself. It won't be a full R. It won't be an R movie because The Rock is in it and they want to actually get people to show up to the theater. But it'll be pretty darn close because of the fact that, again, DC is trying to create this image that we are the comic book movie franchise of adults. So if you want some adult humor, if you want some excessive violence, if you want some adult dark content when it comes to storytelling and such, then we're your place. If you want the wholesome and moral brigade, you can go over the Marvel. But again, Gunn does bring a little Marvel with him to this DC property in terms of he has a message about this whole Amanda Waller being the villain, Amanda Waller being the actual evil person of this movie and that a lot of the people who you think are the bad guys are just byproducts of people abusing them and pushing them to either snap or just lose their mind altogether. So at the end of the film, you don't walk away being like, man, that was a great movie, which is, which is probably part of the reason why the film had a very weak second weekend. The reason why... Black Widow had a weak second weekend was very obvious because of the fact that it was the first Marvel movie that was released on digital at the same time as the theater. The Marvel movie franchise has been built on the concept of going to the movie theater, a movie theater experience, as Kevin Feige calls it. Whereas you have a situation with DC, DC doesn't have that foundation. They've already released Wonder Woman on streaming. They've already released... Mortal Kombat on streaming and uh, King uh, Kong versus uh, Godzilla was in theaters and HBO Max at the same time, right? So it's not like, you know, you didn't know it was available on HBO Max, but I think a lot of people watched this movie once and they were like, all right, that was fun. That was interesting. It made me laugh, but they're not really drawn to go watch it again, which is the Marvel movie is made for you to go watch again. And I think what happened with the Marvel movie was, is if you are someone that went and watched Black Widow in theaters, let's say, you probably then said, I want to see it again. I'm going to watch it on Disney Plus and I'm going to dish out the crazy price tag on it or vice versa. You know, maybe you saw it on Disney Plus and you said, you know what? I've already seen it on Disney Plus. I don't need to go see it in theaters. I think that's what hurt Black Widow overall. Whereas this movie... This is not something that you run back to again and again to watch. Maybe if it shows up on television or on a streaming platform, like, ah, you know, I'll watch that again. But and I think that's where they came up short. You know, one of the things that makes the first Wonder Woman movie or Man of Steel or Shazam or Aquaman, you know, actually some of the better properties of DC is that you will watch them again. They are quality enough and interesting enough and fun enough for you to be like, yeah, I'll watch that again. Of course I will. Whereas people had too many reasons to not go and watch this movie or not watch it again. You know, whether it is their concerns with the situation going on in the country with the pandemic stuff going on, whether it's their concerns with, you know, maybe they don't have enough money, maybe spending all this money on going to movies all the time or uh, to be going out all the time. You know, there's a lot of people who are still not working who are getting their government checks, and let's be realistic, 
if you're somebody who's paying your bills with your government checks, maybe you don't have as much disposable income afterwards. Or how about the fact that at the end of the day, there were a lot of movie theaters that closed down during the pandemic. So it's not like there's as many theaters you can go to. You only have select movie theaters. Look at South Jersey here where I live. There were two movie theater chains that completely shut down in this region. And right now, if you want to go to movies, you only go to a handful of theaters. Whereas previously, we know that you literally could drive a small distance and get to multiple movie theaters. So I'm assuming that there's a lot of reasons why this movie did not do as well as they had hoped. I don't think it's a reflection of James Gunn. I don't think it's a reflection of the movie. I don't think it's a reflection of the concept. I think that we're just, it's just a rough environment right now for movies. And I think that the fact that Black Widow and Fast and Furious 9 did so well as they did, and of course, the movie Jungle Cruise actually didn't do bad either. It actually did pretty well, all things considered. I think proves that people are looking for certain kinds of movies. They're not willing to just go to the movies in general because they realize they can watch it at home and they don't have to go out, they're not going to go out. And I think that's where this movie failed. If I was DC, I actually would have made this a theater exclusive after 60 days, then put on HBO Max kind of thing. Whereas uh, HBO Max is doing the opposite. They make the movie available for 30 days exclusively on HBO Max, and then it's not available for a while on the streaming platform. They did that with Space Jam. They're doing that with Suicide Squad. They did it with... A lot of movies. Really the only movie they didn't do it was with uh, Wonder Woman 1984. That was pretty much stayed on HBO Max the entire time. So I think that this, the strategy that these movie properties are having to learn is that they have to listen to the consumer. You can't make the consumer do what you want. If the consumer is dictating the terms of engagement, you got to listen to the consumer. And I think that's where uh, DC and Warner Brothers is going to keep having problems. And the next DC movie coming out is actually March of 2022. Yeah, you have not one, not two, <laughs> not three, but four DC movies coming out in 2022, potentially five, depending on uh, which news outlet you want to listen to. So realistically, you have a huge gap of time between this Suicide Squad movie and the next batch of DC movies. And I think that that's very significant to keep in mind because as Warner Brothers switch gears from their past to their future when it comes to their movies, I think that having this distance between what we're dealing with in the world right now with what we assume to be things will be better in, uh, next year, I think is going to actually be their saving grace because when the Batman comes out and when... The Flash movie comes out and Black Adam comes out and whenever Aquaman comes out. And I only say whenever Aquaman comes out because uh, for those who don't know, there's some speculation out there that the production of Aquaman's second movie is a little more involved than people realize and that it could get pushed into uh, 2023 and join Shazam. But anyway, the, the idea is that DC is trying to recalibrate their entire movie universe. And I think they're trying to do it the right way. But to have such a huge gap of time between Suicide Squad and the next DC movie, honestly, I think might be a mistake. I understand that you want to get the maximum dollar you can 
out of these blocks off, box office blockbusters hitting the theater. But to have this much time in between properties, I, I think honestly could be a problem. And I think that when the Batman movie comes out, if they mishandle any promotion for that, it could not go over very well when it should, because I think that the concept of it being directed by Matt Reeves is actually a pretty cool concept. And the other properties they have coming out, like DC's League of Super Pets, Black Adam, The Flash, Aquaman. Yeah, you're having all these movies become more sequential down the road. But again, making people wait this long, it might not be the best idea. Thanks again for listening to this edition of the Mutant Bliss Podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, hit the subscribe button, hit the like, download, share it with your friends. We will be covering all of the DC and Marvel properties as they come out. Obviously, Superman and Lois Season 1 is so shortly coming to a finish, as well as we know have the Marvel What If series currently ongoing right now. Uh, DC's Titan Season 3 is out. We will review that when it finishes. It looks like we're projected to be in October is when that will finish up. And of course, the Shang-Chi movie comes out in early September. So we got a lot of things to keep up with here on the Mutant List Podcast. So I look forward to chatting with all of you again next time. Follow me on Twitter at Josh Hennig if you want to hit me up with any thoughts or comments on what I had to say here on the podcast. And I'll catch you next time.